Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. A lot to talk about today. Uh, We're going to try to break these up into segments in the podcast today, talking about what's going on in uh, the Ukraine and with Russia and Putin. And from a biblical perspective, uh, a little bit of Bible prophecy. And also, we've got to tackle some uh, things going on in our culture. The nonstop and increasing promotion of the radical ideology of the LGBTQ, which of course goes against God's word and the biblical worldview. And so when something like that happens, you know they're going to come against Christians. And it's not just they don't just allow us to disagree anymore, right? That's not the nature of our current uh, culture and environment. That's not the environment we're in anymore. So before we start, though, I've got today's guest, Jason Jimenez, Stand Strong Ministries. And I want to read from Psalm 33 to help us launch today's podcast. Let's start in verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their lights. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He puts the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood firm. Verse 10, the Lord nullifies the plans of nations. He frustrates the plans of peoples. The plan of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of mankind from his dwelling place. He looks out on the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not rescued by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it rescue anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who wait for his faithfulness. And we'll, there's a, several verses more after that, but that is a good section of Scripture that we can look at and see what's happening today and go back and go, wow, God's word had it all Covered. Let's bring in Jason Jimenez, founder of Stand Strong Ministries. He's also a faculty member at Summit Ministries. We've had Jeff Myers on the podcast. And he's a pastor, apologist, national speaker, has ministered to families for over 20 years and invested heavily in marriages, families, churches to help them have a greater impact in their communities. He's the author of many books, his latest, Challenging Conversations, a practical guide to discuss controversial topics in the church. He fits right in with us here on Stand Up For The Truth. Jason, welcome back, brother. Hey, David. Great to be with you, my friend. Great to be with you, too. Well, let's just start off with, can can we uh, tell people about the sneak peek that you're writing a new book, or do you want to keep that under wraps for now? <laughs> no, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah, well, I'm actually, we're, yeah, we're in the thick of it right now. We're examining a lot of the aspects of 
what we refer to as the progressive Jesus scholars. Mm-hmm. So their their take on who they believe, they call it the refreshing or a new perspective uh, without uh, traditional snobbery. Yeah. Uh, so they look at the historic Orthodox Christian Church, not in, in terms of you know, Greek Orthodox, but just when you look at historic Orthodoxy within the early Church, and within the Pauline epistles and the four narratives and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, they deny essentially that Jesus is the Son of God and strip him of the virgin birth, his miracles, his sinlessness, uh, the second person of the Trinity, uh, that he didn't come to atone for our sins. So we're examining right now all of those um, claims that come from the progressive Jesus scholars' take, because they have, uh, through the last hundred years, primarily within this Jesus quest, if you will, um, they have used a lot of these scholars, uh, David, who are really infiltrated. They have for quite some time in the universities. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is nothing necessarily new, but when you have a lot of the new uh, formulating progressive uh, thinkers today that are filling the pulpits uh, that reside within Protestant church domains, you know, in the realm of evangelicalism, which I know is a broad stroke, of people who are professing believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we're finding is a lot of people are not familiar uh, with this distortion that is taking place among progressive Jesus scholars. Many of them, when they hear the claim, just like when you're talking to a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness, and again, I'm no way, shape, or form um, equating a progressive Christian to a, a Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism. There, there's definitely some clear distinctions. But on the face of it, when you do talk to a J-Dub or a Mormon, they will say, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Christ. Mm-hmm. I believe Jesus is Savior. And so progressives use that same terminology, but they deny essential fundamental teachings of Scripture. And so I'm right now um, heavily involved in investigating that to respond and show people uh, why this is a false gospel. Praise God. It's much needed, because as we talked about right before we got on the air this morning, Jason, that the, the believers in Christ need to know how to respond to these things. These Many of these people are in our church. The, the attacks come from within, the attacks on the Word of God and the true faith. And so thank you for doing that. I've had Elisa Childers on and um, uh, Natasha Crane in the last uh, several weeks, and we've we talked part of the conversation was necessary uh, to talk about progressive Christianity. I hate using those words, but we've got to address it because it's in the church. So thank you. I look forward to that book when it's out. Um, so, Jason, let, let's talk about what we need to get into this morning, and that is, first of all, we wanted to discuss what's happening uh, geopolitically and over in the Ukraine. And you said something on one of your uh, social media platforms, it may have been Facebook, you said our greatest geopolitical threat is Russia. And uh, as you said, it's the most aggressive ta- attack since World War II. So you have a video that you did on this, and I, I just would love for you to share some points that you made, and we can just uh, take this conversation just step by step, and how to respond, obviously, in prayer, first of all, for the Christians there, and just you know for peace and protection of the people. But uh, just share some of your thoughts. We're in very fascinating times from an aspect of Bible prophecy, aren't we? Yeah, and I, I think to, to your point, David, and, and I appreciate the question, and I think this is something, unfortunately, that we're talking more about that we should have been talking about before the invasion of Ukraine. Yes. This is something that Putin, of course, and his gang of thugs have been doing for quite some time. If you go back to the invasion of Georgia, you know, go way back before 2010, and then you know, roughly around 2006 to 2008, and then 2014 with Ukraine, you see what he did with Crimea. Um, and using those advances as, as, as we're seeing him unfold within Ukraine to try to take over that 
uh, peaceful country uh, at this point. Thankfully, they've they resisted. Uh, I think it's a it's a miracle of God and answer prayer and the yeah. resilience of the Ukrainian people. Uh, we just were hearing in church recently with some missionary friends um, that they're the, the church is exploding and responding faithfully. So it's a combination of many things. And mm. I think what people need to understand is why this is so significant on many fronts. Number one, Russia does play a part in biblical prophecy. Now, I believe, according to Ezekiel 38, 39, uh, and many biblical scholars, as you're well aware, and if the audience is not familiar, I, I encourage them to look up Ezekiel 38, 39. But there is debate as to when this invasion between uh, an individual known as Magog or the Prince of Rosh, uh, mm-hmm. that's in reference to Russia. And of course, I can get into semantics and hermeneutics later, but the emphasis here is uh, what we refer to today as Russia that's invading Israel with some Islamic nations. Uh, one in particular uh, that is a part of NATO currently is Turkey, that has the largest military, active military in NATO today. And their reference there, along with other countries, some people argue Germany's involved, there's Syria or Lebanon or Jordan. But the reality is this, we know that Russia exists you know, in the future, with, and they're leading an invasion. Is that occurring right now? No, because it has to do with Ukraine. However, what's so significant about this is that they're a big player in Europe. Putin's role, you know, to go back to the Russian Empire, is to control Europe. This is so significant because this will shift the, 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 the allegiance and the alliance that we have through NATO, the European Unions, and our relation here in America. And so though this is a separate country with its own democracy that's being invaded by uh, Putin and his gang, and we know that the vast majority of Russians are not for this invasion, as you and I know, but this can set a, a World War III potentially. Mm-hmm. Nuclear capabilities as well, trying to get involved, invading to, uh, Taiwan and taking over Asia. Uh, and then if you have any other uh, dictatorships, if they can see what Russia has done and their alliance that they have with, with the Iranians – uh, who are trying to advance nuclear capabilities as well, who hate Israel, who hate America, as we know. Uh, this can set off a chain of warfare that we've never seen before. And so, yes, the Bible refers to Russia and this invasion that will take place at some point in the, in, in the future. Mm-hmm. But what we are seeing before us could potentially lead to massive devastation economically, financially, and globally uh, because of what Russia is currently doing. Some of the pictures we're seeing, if those are, oh, those of you are following this, uh, Jason, it's just amazing. It's some of them are inspiring uh, as far as the courage of some people over there, um, including Christians, including pastors that chose to stay and to minister and try to preach the gospel. Um, I, I what what is his name? Zelensky is that his name? The yeah, Zelensky. Yeah. Yep, he decided to stay. I got a picture of him in camo or a battle ready gear. Um, I, I don't know how many world leaders would do that instead of flee. Um, and then these little kids. I'm looking at a picture of these little kids saluting the trucks with the Ukraine uh, soldiers, National Guard, and others who are heading probably to the front lines to face Russia. They're they're it's just heart wrenching too. Um, it's it's amazing what we're seeing, but yet. This is nothing new as far as what the Bible predicts. In the end times, it's going to get more intense. There will be more wars, as you just alluded to, Ezekiel 37, 38. And how, um, how do you encourage believers to respond as far as um, resisting fear? Because in times like this, Jason, fear can really get the best of us. 
and we can think about our our the the grid, you know, in, in North America. We can think about what's happening with with China and Russia, and what, just the times. It seems like it's very tumultuous. So, how do you encourage people to keep that perspective? Well, we know that Jesus himself said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew twenty four. You can also reference this in Luke twenty one and Mark thirteen. He said that you will hear in the end times, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, we know that has to deal with ethnic groups. And one thing that I'm encouraging the Church to understand and be aware and not to be in fear is Putin referenced in his speech before the invasion to the Russian people and to the world. One is he told the the Russian people that they will gain back what is rightfully theirs and they will denazify Ukraine and potentially even um, the Baltic countries, depending on you know, their advancements there in Ukraine. So this is an ideological position. And so when we see a madman like this, um, it is frightening. Uh, We are to pray. Uh, Jesus did say these things will happen. Uh, The rumors of wars will escalate. Mm -hmm. uh, We will see the tension arise. But we need to be encouraged because rather than freaking out, in Luke 21, in verse 28, Jesus says, these things will happen, but when they do, look up. Lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Mm. And that is the focal point here, is that when we—it's not, again, not saying that we're so heavenly focused that we're no uh, earthly good. What it's saying is that as these things are unfolding, David, uh, we are to anticipate that Christ is about to return, and so we are to be steadfast, to stand strong in our faith against these oppositions, spiritually first and foremost, and through that oftentimes the attacks were physical— and so, like you said, when you're seeing the resilience of the Ukrainian people, yes. when you're seeing the global church, the universal church, the body of Christ standing up and praying and interceding as we're having 24-7-hour prayers, when we're seeing revival break out despite, despite the starvation and this, the, the missiles, these ballistic missiles hitting these strategic towns in Kiev and others, uh, you're seeing people not run and flee. Like you said, President Zelensky, rather than when, they, when our government – Get this. They say, we will come and take you and your family out. We will do a, 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 a convert operation to get you out, okay, to safety. He said, no, bring more missiles. Wow. So that when you see a man stand like that, what does that remind us of? What a Christian does, standing against not just opposition, but persecution. Hmm. And, and so we as Christians are not to be intimidated by this type of thing, but our hope and our trust is in Christ. And as these things unfold, we don't know what's going to what this is going to lead to eventually, um, you know, how this is going to pan out. We don't have to worry about the future, but we are to look <clears throat> up to the heavens because our redemption draws near. Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, we're with Jason Jimenez right now. If you can get uh, more information on his books and his ministry on his website, and that is standstrongministries.org. We read from Psalm 33 to kick things off, uh, Jason. A lot of applicable verses in there that, about God's sovereignty and about his plans for nations. And many places in Scripture it says he thwarts the plans of man. And I think of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, the people's plot, the kings of the earth take their stand? Rulers conspire against the Lord and against his anointed. And the Lord, and then it says he sits in the heaven the heavens and laughs. He scoffs at them. God's yeah. not threatened by this, and we need to take heart ourselves. And you, I just want to share a quote from you. I think this was on the video that you posted. You said this, the eternal creator of the heavens and earth will put an end to Russia's evil plans. We don't know when, and uh, most of us would say, yes, he will stop it. But in the meantime, 
we've got to keep that perspective. So can you elaborate a little bit more on a few of the points that you were making in that video? I, I, it was really, I believe, excellent commentary on from a Christian perspective and how we can absorb this and look at it from a biblical perspective. Yeah, the biblical perspective is when we do look at this, is not just between Russians and Ukrainians. Yes. Uh, this, uh, this has to do, again, with denazifying Ukraine. This has to do with uh, religion um, at its core as well, where Putin, who is a professed Russian Orthodox, he wants the Baltic countries to be under his regime again and under uh, what he refers to as a Russian Orthodox police system. What Can you and explain that, they, please? Well, yeah. So, so you have, when you look at Poland and Lithuania, and even Ukraine, Ukraine, of course, has been very open in receiving Germans and Jews. I mean, matter of fact, President Zelensky himself is a practicing Jew. He's an Orthodox Jew. Um, and so this is a pure hatred that, uh, and again, when you go back to Matthew 24, this isn't country against country when Jesus is referring to ro- uh, rumors of wars. It's ethnos, it's ethnic groups against ethnic groups, and so there's a core belief system hmm. within these uh, individual ethnic groups and their identity. And so this is what we see biblically throughout Scripture, and you want to talk about the purest form of racism, which is a moral evil. It's an inherent evil, mm-hmm. right? We're all made in the image of God. Amen. And so notice what Putin is doing. These, you know, he is, uh, these are war crimes that he's committing because he is strategically now uh, under pressure right, with his own oligarchs, and he's not capturing any major cities like uh, Kiev and Kiev. He is uh, shooting um, and killing innocent people. So when you see these atrocities throughout Scripture in this warfare, there, there's, it's an attack against God at its core and his people. And so we as Christians, one, as we're listening to this, we have to pray and intercede against this type of form of racism. And two, the other thing is in biblical prophecy, this is significant. The region in which this is unfolding at, this is very significant, David. And I'm trying to stress that to people as we're praying and give, give uh, support. I, I just heard a report of a, of a missionary person getting into Poland, and they're going to get a car and some vehicles and transport into uh, Ukraine. And so they need um, our financial support. They need, uh, you know, we know stores are shutting down, pharmacies are shutting down. So we need to aid people in that support, as we see uh, in Scripture to do, to be charitable, even especially the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. But having said all that, again, this is also significant because this is a big player that's going to control some of the uh, policies geopolitically mm-hmm. in the world to come. And we don't know what that's going to look like, but if we do nothing and say nothing and think, oh, well, we're in America, we're safe, you know, our borders are secure, that's nonsense. And so we have to stand more alert to these things, and I'm encouraging people, look to the Scriptures to see what the Bible talks about with end-time prophecy. But also, as you do that, understand um, how God has already strategically, like he said in Psalm 33, the Lord brings the count of the nations to nothing. Mm-hmm. And as God does that through his sovereign plans, and we don't know all of it, right? But we know that his plans cannot be thwarted, his sovereign plans, according to Job 42, verse 2. So we take hope in that. But logistically, what's amazing, David, is that as these things do happen, like I woke up Monday morning like the rest of us and didn't realize that missiles were being shot into Ukraine. This forefront invasion was taking place. We, we, we heard it brewing. We, we heard the threats. But all of a sudden, war was upon the Ukrainians, mm-hmm. like overnight, literally. And as that happens, though, what's amazing is God had already strategically, in his sovereign will, put the church and people in place mm. to prevent such evils to progress. And as we are seeing those things, we're seeing God, like we see in the Old Testament, when God would strike confusion among the enemies of the Amalekites or the Assyrians. We're seeing him actually do that 
and modern day. And we as as biblical believers, right, who who believe in miracles, we have to see that that is the same God who caused confusion against his enemies among his people. He's doing that today. Yes. And so we, we, you know, as we're seeing that, we got to say, Lord, you are in control, that you can frustrate the plans of the people, that your counsel stands forever. And we look at people like Putin, he may think he's the most powerful person in the world, he could do whatever he wants, but the reality is he's going against God and his plans, and so they cannot succeed ultimately. Amen. As Job says, we've got to take a break with Jason, but uh, Job says, I, can, I know you can do all things, Lord, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Hey, Jason, we don't use that word thwarted enough. I think we got to bring it back, right? Hey, we've got more coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. We're going to talk about what you look for in a good church. What is a good church? Also, some culture news from the LGBTQ and how to respond to that. More in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Jason Jimenez, and let's talk a little bit about China. Um, Before we do that, though, um, there's a recent article from last week, Chinese Communist Party is rewriting the Bible and cracking down on Christians online. They have some new, a new policy beginning is it tomorrow? Is tomorrow March 1st? I think it is. Yeah. So they've got a new policy kicking in tomorrow where they, they're going to need state approval, communist approval, anything they, they share, churches share online from what I understand. Um, so we talked about at the very beginning uh, Jason's book that he's working on that will come out later uh, about the, the, the threat of progressive Christians, Christianity, these false teachings in our own churches and redefinition of words and and ideas. Um, It's interesting. We look down our noses at places like China. It's so blatant. They're literally rewriting Scripture to have a Communist Party-approved version of the Bible. They're literally doing that. But yet, you might want to say figuratively or in other ways, the left or the progressives or these people that the Bible warns about in Jude and Peter warns about and others, they are in a way redefining words and reimagining uh, is the word they like to use, uh, modernizing um, words that uh, such as relevant, the Bible should be more affirming, the church should be welcoming and inclusive and diverse and, of course, non-judgmental. Uh, Jason, before we get into China a little bit more in depth, your thoughts on what our own churches are doing and falling for where this is concerned? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was just actually uh, recently talking to some um, Bible professors, and one of them I had on my show recently that's going to be coming out in the next two weeks on sexuality. And one of the questions I'd ask them, I said, when you look at a Bible teaching church, I mean, you go to their website and their statement of faith, and let's let's just you know, pan them out for a second so we understand. Number one, they believe uh, in God, you know, who is the uncaused, first cause, the eternal creator, and made up of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like the three in one, right, the Trinity, mm-hmm. Trinitarian doctrine. And two, they, they, they believe in the uh, divinity and humanity, God, Jesus, who came into the flesh, you know, God himself in the flesh, incarnation, was fully God, fully man. So there's no denial of that. Three, lived a sinless life, and he atoned for our sins, and, you know, die on the cross and rose again, and finally that he will return someday the second coming. So you hold to those those essential uh, Christian doctrines, okay, and, and, a church, and a church professes that. Mm-hmm. So when you're identifying those type of churches and you're saying, 
how consistent are they when it comes to the teaching of the infallible Word of God? The, the, the Word of God is supreme, right? We mm-hmm. believe in the canonicity of Scripture, that the 66 books that we have from Genesis Revelation, that we know wholeheartedly that this is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit through 40 different authors on three different continents, you know, written primarily in three different languages in a span of 14 to 1600 years. That this is the inspired Word of God, and we are to teach it wholeheartedly. What we're seeing, as you are well aware, David, and you have done a good job through the years, you know, sharing this information, disseminating this information, um, is that churches are are turning away from Scripture primarily. And if you and I trace back any heretical teaching or something that infiltrates itself or propagation of a particular uh, worldview, you know, idea or ideological position that's contrary to Scripture, one of the primary things that you find that has led to that, okay, the development of that, the acceptance of that, is not teaching the Bible, pure, you know, pure and simple. So when we're not teaching the Bible, so I was asking several uh, professors this, they're saying that we need to get back to Scripture and hold fast to the infallibility of Scripture. If we don't, uh, then it, they will create a different gospel, right, a different message, or in some cases people refer to it as a watered-down or a weak version uh, of Christianity. When you get into the round now, and we, and you and I know, we hate the term progressive Christianity because it implies an enlightenment, mm-hmm. almost like you know that they have improved in the last two thousand years, and so they become more inclusive and favorable. So these are these are tactics that the left, that liberal people use to try to get in bed, if you will, figuratively, uh, with other Christians who believe in God's word to be infallible. They just say, "Oh, we've been enlightened." And so they, they and so what we're seeing is a blatant attempt. You say this from the gay gospel movement. You're seeing this in China. You see it in other domains within you know liberal scholars. They try to rewrite scripture. Then they say, look, we can't get the Bible out of people's hands. It's still the number one best selling book. Mm-hmm. You know, you go back to the the, the, <clears throat> the era of Diocletian, who tried to burn all the Bibles and said, we will remove Christianity from the face of the earth. Well, what happened in the third century? It quadrupled. Yes. Uh, you know, and so China's attempt is weak. They try to shun the Bible, burn the Bible, prevent the Bible from being in their country. And instead, what they're doing is okay, let's have a state uh, sanctioned Bible yeah. that we can put into the state church and so people can read from. And you know what? I tell people, you know what? Let's not be intimidated by that. That goes to show you, you cannot, as we see throughout the book of Acts, you cannot stop. When God's word spreads, Amen. And if there's one place that revival is breaking out with the gospel, and I studied years ago under a, a famous missionary who spent 40 plus years in, in China. God is using China in 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 so many powerful ways right now, and so this is Satan's attempt of trying to distort the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. Yes, and Galatians one eight and nine reminds us that. Um, Paul writes, if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel mm-hmm. other than the one we preached to you, then let them be under God's curse. And then he repeats it again, as if it wasn't, you know, a powerful enough to say the first time. Um, and Revelation, it talks about uh, uh, there's a warning for those who hear the words of the prophecy of, God, of Scripture and then changes it. Anyone who adds to this scroll or takes away from this mm-hmm. prophecy— um, there's a warning. Um, God's Word, as you said, th- this Word is very important when you're looking for a church, friends. 
do they consider Scripture infallible, inerrant? Very important words. So what China is doing, as we had Todd Nettleton on last week, Voice of the Martyrs, mm-hmm. he, he, from his people there on the ground, are hearing that what the plan is probably going to be, once the version of the Bible is completed that will glorify the Chinese Communist Party, then they're probably going to try to remove all other Bibles and then, of course, uh, just just make sure that everybody gets the new version, their version of the Bible. But anyway, that's over in China. Why should that concern us, Jason? Well, it should concern us because, again, as we go, as we were talking earlier in the last segment about Russia and, and, and clearly seeing Russia linked in biblical prophecy. Now, what does that look like in the revised Roman Empire in the future to come? What role does Russia play, if any, since they're going to be completely, you know, uh, destroyed within this attempt to try to take over the Holy Land at some point in the future. Um, so it's kind of clear, you know, where China, you know, where Russia is now. China, on the other hand, is a little, um, you know, unclear. Hmm. Uh, but there are some speculative, you know, notions that we have or interpretations in the end times. For example, the 200 million man army right now, currently, even as we're looking at the military of Russia, the second most powerful uh, nation in the world next to us. China has the most active uh, troops and soldiers than anyone, um, as you saw when they hosted the the, the Olympics. You know the, what they're able to do at their level, yeah. uh, of course, in their communistic regime, um, and how they enslave people, as you and I know, uh, no other nation has been able to to, to put to put you know performance wise um, warfare strategy militarily. Um, and China, we're seeing in the end times this play out of what's going to be unfold with the Antichrist. I think China's going to be a big player, so that's why it should uh, concern us. Number two, what people don't realize, when you're going back to this whole thing about the uh, distortion of Scripture, mm-hmm. this isn't just being led by uh, the communist regime. This is also being led by over 100-plus million Muslims who actually live in China, included within the alliance that Indonesia has with China and has 180 million Muslims that are there. Mm-hmm. So let's point back to China funding Russia, their invasion of Ukraine, even though they say that they condone it. Of course, they have to say that because they're seeing it's not panning out the way that both Putin and Chief thought it was going to. <laughs> um, but China also, you know, works in relation, like I said, to a lot of the Muslim countries. And we know that we will see, uh, as we're, we have seen the last uh, two decades with uh, uh, terrorism of this Islamic jihadism. Um, and the greatest enemy of God's people that we see from the beginning, from Ishmael's line, is who? Is Muslims. Mm. It eventually came out right in the, in the 7th century. Yes. So this keeps unfolding who have their, their bloodline with the Babylonians, God's greatest enemy on earth to his people. So this is, China is advancing that type of regime and that type of alliance because they're not you know, respected within the EU. They're not expected with uh, respect with NATO. Uh, we have tensions with, with our own alliances with them, you know, and so people have to realize that this is very significant. Now, again, what, what role does China play in the end times? I tend to think that 200 million man uh, army from recorded, we see in Revelation 9 to also chapter 16 with this uh, battle of Armageddon. I think that China toward the end of the tribulation period will play a role uh, with the Antichrist and trying to, to take over the world mm-hmm. to prevent people from getting saved and accepting the gospel. Interesting. I mean, China's huge, and, and they have power. Huge. I, I read something, just saw a headline, I don't remember where, earlier this morning, 
that without many people understanding or noticing, they have a lot of influence in South America. And I don't remember how it was worded, not that they took over South America, but that, that China is, is really working their way around the globe, so to speak. And um, it's, it's fascinating setting up these end time scenarios we're talking about. Wanted to ask you something really quick, Jason. This is, you know, within the topic of conversation right now. Over at gotquestions.org, it says um, Gog is a person. Magog is a land, it says, in the far north, and um, uh, others see Magog as a general term used uh, in Ezekiel's data to identify barbarians living in the Black or Caspian Seas. Can you clarify, um, I guess a lot of people think Gog, Magog, they just think nations, but that's not necessarily the, the case, or, or is it? Yeah, so again, this this is open for debate, you know, with in hermeneutics when people are studying, you know, the text, you know, in, in Hebrew, and this is written uh, almost 2,600 years ago, this prophecy that Ezekiel laid out, mm-hmm. right? So obviously the, 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 the particular names, these countries that he mentions, and one in particular I think is a person— Okay. Um, you know, is, is again is open for debate. But let me just let me just say this to give people a clear example, because they'll probably know this one uh, more than any other one that's mentioned, particularly in Ezekiel thirty-eight verse five, where he <laughs> mentions Persia, Cush, and, and Put. Mm-hmm. So Persia, as you you and I know, is is modern day Iran. Okay. Yeah. Um, so so in his day, um, you know, it's a different name um, versus you know what we know it of as today. So, for example, when you go back to verse 2 of Ezekiel 38, where it says, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tobol. Okay, so that's all connection. Okay, that's not referencing different uh, individuals. Um, these are all mentioned in the Table of Nations in Genesis chapter 10. So, again, when we do the art and science of biblical interpretation, we have to say, okay, what other references that maybe Ezekiel had prior to him having this prophecy that's mentioned in the Jewish scriptures? Mm-hmm. Well, we can go back to these nations that are mentioned in Genesis 10 as a start. We don't have the term Rosh that's used there. Now, that may be derived from this term Tiros uh, that we do see in Genesis 10, verse 2. So that's just important because we want to give it a proper noun in reference to what it's identifying. So when you see this phrase, Son of Man, set your face toward God of the land of Magog. Mm -hmm. So that's why um, Got Questions is saying the land of Magog is talking about a geographical thing up to the north, which any time in reference to Scripture is referring to the north, north of what? The Holy Land. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. So that's where we would place uh, this, this, this region, Meshach and Tobol. Okay? So it's a geographical land uh, that said, it's, it's, it's mentioned here in Ezekiel 38, and identifying this Prince of Rosh, this ruler over Russia— and that term is interesting, David, because as it's identifying a geographical land, it's also taking note of this superior leader, okay? Mm. Now, I think this is going to be a foreshadowing, uh, because when you look at the little horn and Daniel 7, verses 7 through 8, what you see is the Antichrist to come, a physical human being who will rise from the Mediterranean area, who will come from Antiochus Epiphanes' reign, Right, so Roman descent. Mm-hmm. He will come at some point in the future, and he himself will be a military genius. And so, this person that's referred to that comes from Russia, like we're seeing right now on display with Putin, which is interesting, isn't it? Yes. Of all of all the 190 countries right now, 
who, the whole world has a problem with one nation primarily, and it's Russia. <laughs> That's why they're the most geopolitical threat. And now everyone's saying that you know he's lost his mind. You know that he's you know cuckoo for cocoa puffs or something. You know something's wrong with Putin. Um, and we've known that for a long time, but is he mentally deranged now to where he's just not making any sense? He just wants all-out war to the world. What's interesting, though, is that what we see in the bloodline within Russia, right, with, with the Communist Party, the USSR, Soviet Union, that they have these military geniuses, if you will. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving any credit right. or respect to Putin. What I'm saying is these people that know how to control and dictate and, and force their will on people, mm-hmm. and that's what's implied in the text. So yes, right. we have we have several things here. One, three things primarily, to answer your question in, in summary. Sure. One is there's a reference to a person, as I mentioned, that comes from Russia. That's a military genius. Two, that it's a geographical land, Magog, up to the north, which is Russia. Three, that there are alliances. That this invasion that will take place, led by Russia, will also be in conjunction with Islamic nations. And one of them, the biggest one, and we're seeing this alliance with Iran and China and Russia right now. Iran will have its it, – more scholars refer to this as an Iranian Islamic invasion. So I, I, I encourage your audience to pay close attention to, yes, these alliances that China, mm. Iran, and Russia have together because we are told in Scripture at some point in the future they will attempt to invade uh, Israel wow. at some point, and you got to ask yourself, where's America in all of this? Exactly. If there are if there are ally, where's the EU? Where's mm. NATO? Look at how NATO has allowed Russia to be able to build his military surrounding Ukraine before he invades. Yeah. And so this is becoming weaker at the moment. So this is why this impacts all of us, not just financially. You know, with inflation and with energy uh, demands and supply, uh, this also affects our freedom. Yes, it sure does, and it will. By the way, there's a phenomenal book out there by Dr. Andy Woods called The Middle East Meltdown and the Coming Islamic Invasion of Israel. As you know, all the nations around Israel, they've been wanting to attack. I mean, it's just miraculous. It's supernatural, I believe, and that, that God has protected Israel with all the surrounding nations around. If you look at a map of those who would want to wipe Israel off the map— Anyway, we are talking with Jason Jimenez today, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what to look for in a good Bible-believing church, and we've got a checklist we're starting to put together, and also, there's been obviously more um, promotion of the LGBTQ. You can see it on primetime television. It's blatantly in commercials. We can't stop it. How do we respond? Next on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Okay, Jason, uh, we were talking about what to look for in a good church. We're going to push that back just a little bit, maybe five or ten minutes from now. Um, let's. We need to get to it, though. Just a little checklist of what are the most important things a Bible-believing Christian needs to look for? Because I get that question all the time. I'm sure you do as well. But one of the things that's very concerning we were talking about off-air is the fact that this the promotion of uh, this anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-creation um, uh, ideology of the LGBTQ, transgenderism is being just highlighted and promoted. In the, and I've got an article here about from ESPN promoting 
uh, female basketball star, WNBA star Candace Parker, announces the birth of son with her wife, Anna Petrakova. And you say you wrote uh, just a couple days ago, Jason, I want to know why. You did a really brief video, two and a half minute video. uh, What caused you to do this? Is gender assigned at birth? Oh, and is gender and biological sex the same thing? So let's talk about both of these things and the fact that they are promoting moral relativism and um, just removing God as a creator. Yeah, so what what we're under attack, though, is, again, just like we see from the garden, and this is what I want people to understand because we can get into the weeds pretty quickly, and I don't want to do that here. (laughs) Okay. One, we have limited time. Yes. But when you go back to the garden, you see a direct attack from the beginning with a serpent on what God said who God is. And two is that as though the identity of Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them in the image according to Genesis one twenty seven, as you and I know. But it was almost that it wasn't enough, that they, they were not completely like God the way that they thought they were. Mm-hmm. And so he, he crept in there to attack that. And what I, I and this is so important, David, because as we see this unfolding, we, we argue about one's predilections or their desires or their attractions or their gender. And recently, I was having several people, and I got you got to put this in perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, TikTok, for example, and I was just telling this to my wife and a few other colleagues. In one day, in one day, the 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 hashtag and conversation surrounding gender fluidity was had 1.7 billion, okay, either with the hashtag or conversations that within the algorithm of TikTok in one day. What that means is overwhelmingly uh, platforms like TikTok are advancing um, this type of thing, yep. you know, transgenderism, determining your gender. And so we have so much confusion that is going on just within terminology uh, because one thing that we're seeing, just like we're talking about China, hijacking, okay, Progressive Christians hijack Jesus. China's hijacking the Bible. Uh, the, now, this is not everybody within the LGBT community. So right. Just be clear. Yes. But this is what I refer to as the gay agenda. Okay. That that oftentimes is is, is in connection to the gay gospel, the metropolitan churches, and a lot of the Methodist churches, um, who are very inclusive. You know, with the with the rainbow flag, they are hijacking. Okay. This very point where we're talking about on sexuality and gender. They don't want to talk about biological sex. That's right. They don't want to talk about maleness and femaleness. They don't want to talk about the identity of humanity in a creator. They want it to be subjective. This goes back to the eras of relativism and romanticism. They want to subjectify their feelings and preferences. And ultimately, people have to understand, and this is what they're trying to infiltrate all throughout in politics and the news and commercials and, again, TikTok and everything, is go against this quote-unquote binary conversation or belief system, right, that, do, that, that doesn't hold weight or water or relevance today. Uh, today, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be a trans, uh, non-binary, cisgender individual. Uh, how do you even define what that is or what an individual is? <laughs> um, you know, but this whole maleness and, and manhoodness yep. uh, it doesn't exist today in reality according to uh, the left, according to the gay agenda. And so this is a direct attack against the nature of God, the yes. teachings of Jesus, and the gospel. And that's why we have to understand as we're having these conversations, we don't hate the other person who's teaching these things that go contrary to a biblical narrative. What we want to do is understand the terminology that they're using so that we don't get confused. Right. 
And uh, we have to call attention to that when we hear it, friends. It's not, uh, it's leading a lot of people astray. And you know what the Bible says about that. Um, in this article, uh, why nearly 40% of Gen Z identify as LGBTQ. First of all, I don't think it's actually literally that high, but these are people that some do it for attention and, and some really believe it, but we can dissect that at another time. But the concerning thing is, Jason, uh, it says 30% of young Christians identify as LGBTQ. Now, that, that's a head-scratcher. And it's not surprising that with all the promotion of this, that young people are confused about sexual attraction and one of the most basic elements of life, how you were born or who you are as a human being. But this is part of of this agenda that has been to remove God. And as you said, it's an attack on truth, attack on the gospel. And the concerning thing to us is not necessarily what culture is doing out there, but what's happening inside our own churches. Yeah, so I think it's important to understand, David, too. Yes, there are con- there is confusion. There is open debate, and mm-hmm. we need to have more of them. We need to have more town halls. We need to answer more people's questions. We need to do more research. We need to be more prayerful. We need to be more theologically, philosophically sound in all of these issues when it comes to sexuality. God created us as sexual creatures. Okay, I was just talking to my 18-year-old son last night, and you know, as I told him before, we have desires. There are going to be natural desires that you have as a young man. Now, what you do with those desires is going to determine if it's sinful or not, if you act on the right course you know, or the wrong. And today, there are no consequences to any people's actions. And the Bible clearly says, you reap what you sow, mm. okay? And a lot of people are reaping major uh, consequences as a result of them trying to determine what they believe is their own reality and forcing people to believe in their own, their, what they believe to be true. That's inconsistent, okay? That's not matching up to what we know with the facts and God's truth, and so there will be consequences. So we have to step in there and speak truth and love to people to avoid them going down further. And we're talking about Russia, you know, pointing out what is moral evil and mm-hmm. trying to put an end to that. If you don't, we know that, that what the consequences will be. We have to apply that same logic and truth um, to these situations as well. And so I will say this. I do not buy into those things I, either. What we are seeing is, and I was working with Focus on the Family about these things, is that Gen Z— more so than millennials, believe that, you know, again, if you're talking uh, an estimate of 60-plus million of Gen Zers born after 2000 up to 2015, 2016, that 40%-plus of them do believe, okay, that a person can determine their gender. Now, again, if you use gender as a subjective term based on what you feel sexually or preference, then yes, okay. (laughs) Uh, But gender is not the same as biological sex. You are not assigned a birth, okay, um, you are given a fixed uh, sex at birth. Amen. Okay, so those are two different things. So there's a lot of confusion, number one. So if yep. you just start training people like we do at Summit, it will clarify, just like when you talk about abortion. Number two, uh, a lot of these people who profess to be Christians and also LGBTQ, that goes contrary to the Bible. So I, that, and this is not just me, but other people like Dr. Christopher Yuan, um, uh, we do not believe those people who are saying that you could be both and, that you could be romantically, sexually engaged with someone of the same sex or in a transgender relationship or whatever kind of relationship they want that's not biologically um, cohesive to a biblical marriage, right, between a man and woman, monogamous relationship. You cannot be sexually, romantically 
involved, actively involved with someone of the same sex and be a professing biblical Christian at the same time in the same sense. You can't. That's right. So a lot of these people who are professing to be Christian, again, just we've been talking about this whole show, there's a hijacking going on. This is a distorted view of Christianity that is not biblical Christianity, according to Galatians 1, 8, 9, like you just said. It's a, it's a different gospel other than what Paul preached and that we see within the Scriptures. This is a different Jesus, therefore it's a different gospel, therefore it does not lead to eternal life. Amen. There are people who are trying to embrace a gay gospel, and they're trying to insert it in the text so they can live out their sexual predilections. When you go contrary to what God has ordered in His divine design, there will be consequences. And the moment you say that same-sex marriage or any other relationship outside of a male-female relationship for life is okay and morally sound, then you will lead. Inevitably, the society will start leading to pedophilia and other sick, twisted sexual desires relationships. That's right. That's right. Now, since we we're talking about the church now, since some churches are, quote, welcoming and trying to be relevant and um, they're trying to attract the world, they're going to start teaching these things or glossing over the truth of Scripture to allow some of these beliefs. And, you know, Jude writes to contend earnestly for the faith. He talks about men who crept in unnoticed, who, who are turning the grace of our God into indecent behavior and denying our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. So let's talk about in the last couple of minutes, Jason, people want to know what to look for in a good church because they've gotten a little disappointed with a church, their church, not mentioning Bible prophecy, not dealing with social or, quote, political or, you know, these other issues of morality, and maybe they're topical and it's really neutral. They're not hard on the gospel. They're, they don't look at the scriptures properly. So what would you say are a couple, couple of the top bullet points you would encourage people to look for in a Bible-believing church? So years ago with Baker Books, Dr. Norman Geiser, we wrote a book called The Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions. And in that book, question number 47, how can I know a good church from a bad one? <laughs> so in that brief, in, in that brief answer, uh, David, and just to help your audience, and I appreciate you guys putting a piece like this together, because now more than ever, because what you and I take for granted, literally, yes. you know, what we know, what we've been blessed to know, and our friendship, and, you know, training, and and biblical worldview, uh, that's not the case with the vast majority of Christians today. Matter of fact, we are definitely, and I think we were overutilizing this term post-Christian uh, America 20 years ago, mm. but we have certainly been in a post-Christian country, not to say that this was intended to be a Christian nation, because I don't agree with that narrative, but we definitely have a Christian heritage. There mm. definitely has been a Judeo-Christian ethic that's not just in our founding documents, but we see throughout the, the bedrock of our civilization as Americans. Yes. So having said that, when you do look at the Church, um, you definitely see, and I love Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher. He wrote a sermon back in the 19th century called Feeding Sheep or Amusing Goats. <laughs> um, so there's definitely a lot of this conversation people have when it comes to things that you just alluded to. And what I tell people in the book, and this is important, number one, first and foremost, just as I was attending church with my family yesterday, and you were as well, and probably many people are listening, my focus, when I say focus, is kind of a generic term, but when I come as a vessel of honor, Okay, as a child of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, when I come into a structure in a local church representing the universal body, number one, does this place of worship that I attend as a member, okay, uh, do, they, do they have a pure worship of God? Psalm 145. They set aside the style of music, 
okay? We get this whole debate about should you be singing hill songs? Should you be singing, you know, vertical worship? Should you be singing, you know, all these other kind of, you know, you know denominational lines of, of worship style? Set that aside for a moment. Just ask yourself, are they worshiping God? Number two, as they worship God, okay, are they preaching and teaching the Word of God, Acts 6-2? That's the responsibility of your shepherds, of your pastors. They are to, number three, faithfully shepherd and lead the people, 1 Peter 5, 1-4. Their job is to oversee souls. So I ask people, when you come to church, not just as your focus to worship God, does the church um, not build a worship experience, okay? Put the, again, let's put aside the style of worship, the style of preaching. Mm-hmm. We are focusing on worshiping God. Number two, we're talking about teaching God's Word faithfully. Number three, we're talking about they're the shepherds that are leading that church, the elders leading that church as overseers. Are they caring for your soul? Number four, are they promoting unity and diversity? Uh, a sign of a healthy church, a church that you and I should be a part of, is that they have a unified front, hmm. and they're taking your spiritual gifts. They know what those spiritual gifts are, and they're discipling you. They're stirring up love and good works, which leads ultimately – to all the stuff we talked about is there has to be a family basis. There has to be a family structure to the church because you and I know that when you look at uh, Hebraic teaching, it was the, the grandparents and the parents teaching the next generation. We see that all the way from Deuteronomy 6, and that is still applicable to the church today according to Ephesians 6, 4. We have to be grounded in teaching p- families according to Titus chapter 2. That's mm. a good sign of a church. Good points, Jason. Thank you. We'll take these to heart. Add them to our list. The list is getting longer, but it's important to really do your research when you're looking for a church. Don't just go by some benign or neutral mission statement or doctrines on a website. Uh, Jason Jimenez, Stand Strong Ministries. Thank you so much, brother. God bless you. God bless you guys. All right, tomorrow we've got prophecy expert John Haller, also an attorney. We're going to ask him a question about what we talked about on Friday with the intimidation by the government on local Christian business owners. One of them is a registered nurse. And uh, we'll talk to John about that and other things on the geopolitical level. So thanks, guys, so much. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.